believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. I was jealous of him and his success and the abilities he had. That's not the jealousy God has. God is jealous for us because all of his passion is directed toward us on the cross. That's how he is. His love for us is demonstrated with Jesus dying on the cross and he's jealous for us. He's like jealous for parents, parents being jealous for their kids when they see someone turning the kids against the good counsel of the parents. And you're jealous for your children because you know the bad counsel they're following of friends and the group they might be running with, it's, it's not in their best interest. It's destructive for them. It's going to have a bad ending. And, they're, and they're, we're jealous for our children. We're jealous that, they get a, that the coaches treat them properly, that the teachers aren't against them and harass them. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's more like we're, we're passionate for those we love. That's what the jealousy implies. In fact, we think of jealousy as envy, like Joy Brand, Tom Curran, but that's not really what this word means in the Hebrew. It is to be passionate for. So he's opposed to idolatry and false gods because he's passionate for us. He's given everything for us, and he's, he's passionate for us because he knows those things will destroy us. And that's what he says time and time and again, not only what we've already covered in the five books of Moses, but as we get deeper into Deuteronomy, we'll see that. We're then told not to use his name in vain. Well, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just the, the reverence for God and the respect for God. Don't you just cringe when people use the Lord's name in vain? You really do. In all my lifetime, I've never heard anyone curse Muhammad or Buddha at Target. But I've heard him curse Jesus Christ. And I just cringe. You just cringe. Like it's one thing if someone just kind of has a potty mouth. But when they use the Lord's name in vain, just like, oh. And that's good. You should cringe. You should cringe. I don't want to be insensitive if someone's using the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. A sign of conversion and transformation is you don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's just, that's just something that the, the Spirit's not going to, he'll clean it up really quick. So not using the Lord's name in vain because we hallowed the Lord. Observe the Sabbath. Now, for them, that was a sign of the covenant. We've talked about this, that they had the Sabbath. Now, we are to have a Sabbath rest. It's good to have a day off. But we know that Jesus fulfills the Sabbath, that he died on the cross, and he gives us rest from the works of the flesh. And so he is our rest, what it really represented. And we know that the Ten Commandments is the only one not reiterated to the church in the New Testament. In fact, we're told that one person esteems one day, another another, Sabbaths, new moons, but let each esteem as they feel led because these are a shadow of things to come, but Christ is the substance. You know, I quote that verse a lot, 
But the context of that verse is literally the Sabbath and the the new moons and these things. These are shadows of things to come, but Christ fulfills it. So we're not going to do Jesus plus a legalistic relationship church absolutely on Saturday. And we don't, we limit phone calls we make, what we drive in our car. Because see, a lot of the Orthodox Jews to this day in Israel, they'll, they'll limit, like they won't make phone calls because that's their understanding of the Sabbath. Or they, they won't drive, but they'll take the bus. You see, that's what religion does. You get really weird, like, well, we can't drive, it's the Sabbath, but we can take the bus. Okay. Like, you see, that's what religion does. We're not about religion, we're about relationship. So the Sabbath, and we know in the early church that they got together on the Lord's Day, the day he rose from the grave. And so the Sabbath is never, ever associated with the church from the time Jesus rose from the grave. There's never book of Acts, pastoral teachings, the epistles, book of Revelation. If the Sabbath was meant to be applied legalistically or legally by the church, we would certainly know it from the historical record of Acts, the pastoral instructions from First and Second Timothy and Titus, as well as all those letters. And we're just told the exact opposite. Don't worry about it, what you do. They, we see in Corinthians on the first day of the week they got together. That was Sunday. That's when they celebrate, because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. All vertical. These are all vertical in our relationship with God. So these are all vertical related. And it's, it's not that we love God because we have to, like we're a robot. But if we understand his love for us, we've been talking about this, they will naturally return that love. We are created to know his love and we are created to reciprocate, to return his love. But that truly doesn't happen until the spirit reveals to us that Christ is the savior and we respond to that and we really understand how great is God's love for us. Now, the fifth commandment is the transitional commandment. So vertical humanity to God. Now transitional because it's vertical because it's your parents, but it's transitional because it's human beings. But this transitional commandment Honor your father and your mother as the Lord God has commanded you that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land where you go that the Lord has given you. So this commandment we're, we're told is to honor our father and mother in the, that it may be your days may be long. So it implies a longer life, a lo, health, good health, a longer life, and that it may be well with you. So listen, catch this quantity of life and quality of life. That you'll live a long life and it'll be well with you. Some people live a long life and it's not well with them. Some people it's well, but they don't live a long life. But God's promising both. A long life, that's a quality life. Quantity and quality. And this is what's interesting to, to me about this. And we again, I know we've touched on this a little bit. But back when you go to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, when it's talking about Chapter 5 is like, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church does unto the Lord. But then you get to chapter 6 and it says, to honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents. To honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you live long in the land, long, in the land, long days, and it be well with you. This, this commandment is asserted in the New Testament with emphasis as being completely in play with its principle for honoring your father and your mother. Now, we all understand that honoring your father and your mother has a different look, but again, I'll point out something here. It says, honor your father and mother. The devil is trying to destroy the family unit that God has designed from the dawn of creation. He's always attacked the family unit, but he is just throwing stuff at us now that we've never even imagined or conceived as even being possible to wrap our minds around on the back end of this human experience. 
All I can say to us on this topic is we just need to pray. We need to love people. And we need to have our convictions so we don't have compromise. Skip Isaac. If we have strong convictions, biblical convictions, then they'll keep us from compromising. And that's what I'm looking at for my life. That my convictions are strong and firm based upon the word of God, so I won't compromise them and capitulate them. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church and in this pulpit, I intend to maintain that integrity and defense and faithfulness for the family unit. It says, honor your father and your mother. That's the family unit. Now, husbands die. Wives die. Blended families come together. Divorce happens because of hardness of heart, as it says, Jesus said. But new families are birthed, and things go forward. But we're called to honor our father and mother. That's the design God has. So with that context, as we understand it in our society, and these things that are upon us that we can't even really... It's an alternative reality almost, except it is reality. We come now to what we would normally think about honoring your father and your mother. What does that look like for us? We have younger people here tonight. What what does it look like for you? What does that look like? We have older people like myself. I have one, one, there's one parent left of the four, my father. And sometimes it is kind of like, I need to call my dad. I'm calling for a few days. I need, you know, Oh, dad loves golf, and we'll pick him up. Who wants the Masters tomorrow? we got to go to Whole Foods, get some stuff, bring dad down, and, you know, like, this is what we're going to do. It's different things. But we have people in this church whose parents don't even know that it's their children taking care of them. But once your parents are gone, you can't honor your father and mother. Not in the way that you'd want to. See, for me, and I, again, speak to all of us, that's why I go out of my way to help my sister so much. Because when everyone gave up on my 55-year-old sister, my mom never gave up on my sister. I gave up on her. My brother gave up on her. I mean, I saw her screaming at streetlights at 7 in the morning out of her mind. I was like, she's gone. But God has restored her to a sane mind. But there's so much I'd like to redo with my mom to be a better son. But she's gone, and I can't do it. And those of you who have lost parents, you can relate to it. You'd like to redo some things. You'd like to maybe make this straight or make that better. You realize how much you took them for granted. And now they're gone. And they're not coming back. And that's that. So for me, when it comes to my mom, I just think, well, what I can do to honor my mom is to help my sister. That would be honoring my mom. That's, that's how I can honor my mom, is to, to be there for my sister like my mom was always there for my sister. Because my mom was always there for my sister. And I've just kind of developed a policy that I'm going to always answer the phone when my sister calls. Because I, that's how I'm honoring my mom. Now, I don't know how you honor your father and your mother, because it looks one way when you're 10, another way when you're 20, another way when you're 50. But the Holy Spirit will guide us in honoring our father and mother, and we need to honor our father and our mothers. Because when they're gone, they're gone. When you bury them in the Catholic cemetery in Cleveland on a cold, windy day with snow flurries, you've buried them. And they're not coming back. And you don't get a second chance. So 
To me, honoring your father and mother is so critical. And with our younger children, it teaches and respect vertical authority. That's why it's so critical. If you allow your children to be disrespectful to you and not honor you, you are setting them up to be disrespectful to the authorities that God has over them at work, with government, and society. So it's super important as parents what we hold our children accountable to respect the parental authority. Now, we're told not to provoke our children to wrath. That, of course, is there in Ephesians 6 as well. But we... With respect above it, beneath, we, we equip, we encourage, we build up, and we guide and we help our adult children. That's what we're doing. We're, we, we help them know how they should treat us. Not so they'll take good care of us when we're 80, but that would be good. But just it's the right thing. It's to their benefit to treat us properly when we're 60, when they're 30. Because it's to their benefit that it may be they live long and it could be well with them in the land. So in teaching our adult children to take proper care of us and helping them to do that, we're equipping them to be blessed. And we hold our kids accountable and we help them. And they make choices and a lot of times they make bad choices. So as much as we can pray for them and help them, we, we do what we can. And the other thing about this is that for people who have never had children, because we have lots of people we know that have never had children. Well, you can... Pray for and help children understand those important things. You don't have to be a parent to help kids to be good and respectful and honoring of their parents. That's something we can all do because we're a church family and we can help and we can equip. Of all these Ten Commandments, it's the one that pronounces the blessing of quantity and quality. It stands out. And that's why... We cover it separately. Then we come to the back five. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear fault with witness, which of course is the lie. And you shall not covet, the opposite being contentment. So murder is murder. We know that sometimes people kill by accident, manslaughter. We have the cities of refuge for that. We know that sometimes there's, there's capital punishment in the Old Testament. Maybe the New Testament can't be emphatic about that. But there's capital punishment that God gave. So it's not killing here, it's murder. There's a difference. You see the distinction. It's important to understand that. So if there's capital punishment, there's a killing that by a judicial process, a person has been found guilty of a crime worthy of capital punishment, and they're put to death. That, that's what they had in the law. There, would also, there could also be killing in self-defense. So that would be a moral justification. So if someone tried to kill you, and you killed them in self-defense. Also, the Bible makes a distinction of killing in a time of war. That there's a difference between killing in a time of peace and a time of war. And the Lord knows those distinctions. If any of my sons had been in the military, or daughters for that matter, and they went to war, they have a job to do. You know, I I asked my dad, I've only shared this maybe once, but I've asked my dad about the Korean War and the Vietnam War because he fought communists uh, and he, he, he fought these ideas. He fought ideologies. The Korean War and the Vietnam War were not wars over commerce, like World War I, World War II, and colonialism and that stuff. They were wars over ideologies, worldviews. Complete godless worldview, the Cold War, godless worldview versus a Christ centered worldview. And so I asked my dad, like, you know, when you, when you were in Korea and Vietnam, like, and he was in combat, major combat, said, did you feel like you were fighting for freedom and all these things? He goes, nope. Well, what did you think? He's like, I was doing my duty. Semper Fi. 
Hurrah. I was trained as a soldier, and I was doing my duty for my unit and those that fought alongside of us. So in an all-night major battle in the Korean War, Ford Observer car and artillery rounds from Howard's two miles back, it wasn't so much that he was defending freedom or the American way of life, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom from want, Norman Rockwell paintings. He was doing his duty, which he signed up for when he switched from ROTC Navy to ROTC Marines, became a Marine, went to Fort Still Army Base to learn artillery, and then was shipped off as a young man as a captain in the Korean War. It was his duty. It was the same thing in the Vietnam War. When people were shooting at him, he was doing his duty. So when you think of killing, it's not something I want to do, but I'm glad people are trained to fight war because there are a lot of people that want to take what our country stands for, take it from us, and destroy us. And there's a lot of people that would have invaded us, you know, just two generations ago if they could have. And we've been attacked on American soil more than once. So I'm, I'm glad there's people that are professional soldiers and trained for that. And again, I bring it up in the context of the Ten Commandments. This is you shall not murder. Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. If you hate them, you, you're already there. We have to forgive, we have to let go, and we can't hold the bitterness. The initial rage or frustration, we have to take that captive to the Lord. Because murder is premeditated. And as we were discussing with the men today, if you've had previous DUIs and you're driving drunk and you kill people in a car, you can be charged with murder. They hold you accountable for it. Like the girl that hit the four kids and killed them here two years ago at Magnolia and PCH in May. She faced like secondary murder charges. There's a Calvary Chapel student, the girl that graduated 10 years ago, whatever. She had multiple DUIs. She was drunk and she hit a pedestrian and killed her. And she was charged with, I believe, second degree murder. In California, you can be charged with murder if you have had previous DUIs and you kill someone driving while under the influence. They hold you accountable for that. If a drunk driver who had previously had DUIs killed someone you love, wouldn't you feel that that was murder? I think you would. Murder is, is doing things where you endanger others and you are doing things that will put people at risk that they would be killed or totally premeditated first degree. And we know that pretty much 85% of all murders take place, someone killing someone they know. That's an established fact, like Cain and Abel. So we just have to forgive people. You should not commit adultery. Jesus said adultery begins in, in the heart, in the eyes. He said you'd better off cutting off your hand. we just plucking out your eye. God values the sanctity of a marriage and two people being together. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they all work against the marriage. The devil hates marriage. So fidelity is super important and taking every thought captive. I think of the psalm that says, I'll set no evil thing before my eyes. And that's what we need to do. We need to fight for our marriages. When Paul said, fight the good fight, I fought the good fight, is everything that's good and right. And we need to fight for our marriages. We need to fight for our purity. We need to fight for things that are important from before we're married, while we're married, until we step into eternity. We're lustful people. That's what we are. And so we need to fight to take thoughts captive and do the right thing. In a society without restraint, where marriage is being redefined as being anything and everything, we have to preserve and walk in integrity and purity and conviction and character for our marriages and our spouses.
You shall not steal. I mean, it's obvious. You just you don't take what's not yours. There's all kinds of thefts. We talk about givers and takers, right? So takers take because it's never enough, even when they've almost taken all your stuff. Givers give and keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. You want to be the giver. We sow bountifully. That's who we are. You know what? We sow bountifully. We're givers. That's our identity in the body of Christ. These are all the ministries and things we're investing in as a church. You just... You so bountifully, you stay at a hotel, leave a tip for the, the maid. Yeah, can you imagine being a maid in Ozona, Texas? Town of 2,000 people, 200 miles from San Antonio. I don't need to see the maid. I just know she lives in this town, and she's cleaning this room when we leave. I'm going to leave her a tip, a good tip. That's, someone serves you really well at a Starbucks, you know, outside of Houston. One person working hard, and just all those cars are just flying. Heck, bless them. We're not trying to take stuff. We're trying to bless. Because more blessed to give than to take. And we know as we sow bountifully, we're going to be blessed. That's the disposition we want to have. We're not stealers. We're givers. In fact, the Bible tells the New Testament that him who steals, steal steal no more and let him work hard. (laughs) Go figure. Then you should not bear false witness. So we're not liars. The devil is the father of lies. So we need to be people of truth. Again, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't swear by this or swear by the temple or the holy city of Jerusalem. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. The integrity of our word is the most important thing we have. But we speak the truth. It is the truth. That's that. Our yes is yes. Our no is no. That's who we need to be. Anything more from that is not good. That's what Jesus said. Reaffirm the book of James as well. But also bearing false witnesses like malice and gossip and deceit and all these things. That's what's been so hard in the last year. All the malice and gossip and slander and all these attacks is people raging unfiltered. And so much of it is lies. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. Let truth come from us. I'm so tired of cancel culture, twisting things and attacking people. Just speak the truth. Let the truth stand. As my son Luke would always say about the truth is, you never need to make it up. <laughs> and it's, you're less likely to forget it, and it'll be standing when you're gone. So the truth is always a good place to be. Lies upon lies, you start saying the strangest things like, you just, oh, it's just, you just go into the, this land of nonsense. Speak the truth, you shall not covet. The Bible tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. And we, we just, we're content with all the good things. Coveting is discontentment. We want to be content with what God has for us. We want to feel good about what God has for us and be blessed by what God has for us. Hebrews warns us against covetousness. I think we're, I think as a church family, I, I'm just really proud of us because I, I certainly feel like we're good on these things as a whole, but I feel like we're really good on, I feel like as a whole, we're very content with the good things of the Lord. We're not, I feel like we're content. We're generous people and we feel good about what God's done for us and we trust him to provide for us and we trust him to work through us to bless others who have less. I feel really good about this, this 10th one. I feel good about all of them. I feel like we're a very worshipful church, a reverent church and a godly church. So the 10 commandments are important. I don't know when I'll teach them again. They're important. They're in God's word. And as I read to you from Romans to start with, you understand that 
if we love the Lord and love our neighbor, we will naturally fulfill these things because love thinks no evil and it bears all things, it hopes all things, and love never fails, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 13. So I just close with that thought that we could never keep these things to go to heaven, but because we're born again from heaven with the spirit of God that comes from heaven, we can live these things to the glory of heaven and the coming kingdom, not for justification, but because we're already justified. So I don't throw the Ten Commandments aside and say, well, it's irrelevant. I think it's very relevant. I think it's very relevant. I think the Ten Commandments are always going to be relevant. But they're, they're our guide morally, and they'll keep us in a good way. They give us good convictions. They'll guard us, and they'll keep our hearts. And as we look to the Lord and yield to the Spirit, we'll see more of this in our life and less of what the contrasts are, and we'll be blessed The people above us will be blessed. The people beside us will be blessed. The Lord will be pleased. And the people underneath us will be blessed. So uh, we take them to heart and we look to the Lord to help us glorify him by living personal lives that reflect these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. For he said through Jeremiah that the days were coming where he'd write his law, not on a stone tablet, but in our hearts. And that it was a new covenant. And we are that new covenant. So these aren't written on stone tablets anymore. That's why the tablets are gone and missing. They're written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So God help us in living this kind of life to his glory, to our blessing, and to those around us. Amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.